Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. We are currently looking for storytellers for the next Tell Us Something storytelling event. The theme is Didn't See That Coming. If you'd like to pitch your story for consideration, please call 406-203-4683. You have three minutes to leave your pitch. The pitch deadline is May 27th. I look forward to hearing from you. This week on the podcast, I sit down with Neil McMahon to talk about his story, Deus Ex Buick, which he told live on stage at the Wilma in Missoula, Montana on September 20th, 2016. And at that time, believe it or not, young folks, nobody had cell phones. Yeah. Uh, and there was no way for me to get this information. I couldn't afford to take the day off work and just hang around. So it came down that the only way we could do this was that my, my wife, uh, who was working at home at the time, would field the call. The theme that night was Fork in the Road. After his story, we talk about his friend and fellow author Kim Zupan, his day job, and the life of a writer. Go into some kind of line of work that would give you much more material, you know, whether it's uh, like Michael Connolly was a journalist, obviously, physicians, lawyers, whatever. Something besides swinging a hammer. Thank you for joining me as I take you behind the scenes at Tell Us Something to meet the storytellers behind the stories. In each episode, I sit down with a Tell Us Something storyteller alumni. We chat about what they've been up to lately and about their experience sharing their story live on stage. Sometimes we get extra details about their story and we always get to know them a little better. Before we get to Neil's story and our subsequent conversation, please remember to save the date for Missoula Gives, May 5th through the 6th. Missoula Gives is a 24-hour online giving event. Remember to support Tell Us Something during Missoula Gives, May 5th through the 6th. Learn more at missoulagives.org. Neil McMahon shared his story in front of a live audience at the Wilma in Missoula, Montana in September of 2016. Neil is working as a carpenter on a construction site in a remote part of Montana when the call comes from his New York City publisher. I started working as a carpenter back in the early 70s. I actually started as a union apprentice in Helena in 1973. And uh, a few years later, I started getting interested in writing. And, you know, along the way, I started thinking, you know, really, I'd kind of rather make my living as a writer than a carpenter. And uh, this is easier said than done. So I kept swinging the hammer and trying to buy time to write and so on, you know, lots of ups and downs. There was a brief little peak in the late 80s when I managed to publish three horror novels. Uh, I was trying to kind of ride on the coattails of Stephen King and The Exorcist and all that stuff, and they vaporized. And that little bubble tanked very quickly, and I was back out on the bricks again, and so on and so forth. So we fast forward to 1998, on or about, and uh, by this time, I have managed to cobble together a draft of another novel, this time a mainstream thriller. I'm trying to reinvent myself as a writer. Uh, get it to an agent in New York, and then, astonishingly, we get word that there is an editor at HarperCollins who is actually interested in this. This is kind of a big deal. On the other hand, it's kind of not, because I've been through so many of these deals already, where it was, uh, you know, a near miss, and somebody's interested, and yeah, it peters out, and so on. Couldn't take it too seriously, but you can't not take it seriously. So the deal was, anyway, the way it came down. This was a Thursday in July that we got this news. And this guy was going to call the next day on a Friday, and I had to actually be there to talk to him on the phone to 
formally confirm if he made an offer. It was a yes or no deal. If he did not call, you know, if he didn't call, nothing was going to happen. If he did, I had to be there to talk to him, confirm it, a kind of a handshake over the phone, you know, make contact and all. And above all, not give him the weekend to change his mind. So the wrinkle with this being, that this time, the crew I'm on, we're working way up Butler Creek Road, past the airport and then up in the mountains in the north. It's about three miles past where the pavement ends, this rutted dirt road and so on. And at that time, believe it or not, young folks, nobody had cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and there was no way for me to get this information. I couldn't afford to take the day off work and just hang around. So it came down that the only way we could do this was that my, my wife, uh, who was working at home at the time, would field the call. And if it was a no, then, you know, that was it, she'd stay home. But if it was a yes, then she was going to have to drive up there and find me. And I didn't even know, you know, to tell her where the place was. It was just a few miles up past where the pavement ends. And there's this kind of chalet-like house up there. And the only thing I could say was, honey, you'll see our trucks. Because the crew I was working on, our trucks looked basically like a mobile junkyard. And <laughs> we, actually, we actually had a client call the sheriffs on us one time. The first day we showed up on a job. This is true. Uh, and on top of everything else, she's driving this little Buick, this little bitty 80s white Buick that has a wheel clearance of about you know, this much, and the ruts in the road are about this, and the top of it was peeling off, looked like it had leprosy, but okay, that's another story. <laughs> so I'm up there with the crew, and the day goes on and on and on, and nothing happens, and nothing happens, and nothing happens. And it gets to be about 2.30 in the afternoon, which is 4.30 in New York time. And by this time, I've written it off. I figured, you know, this guy's forgotten all about this, forgotten all about me. He's in a bar someplace drinking $20 martinis <laughs> in midtown Manhattan. And uh, I was inured to this. Uh, but on the other hand, this is kind of a big deal. I, again, I was trying to reinvent myself. And writers know that when a novel goes out like that, uh, if it doesn't sell in the first few passes to an editor, chances are it's not going to. There are exceptions to that, but usually they're looking for pretty much the same thing. So this was kind of the handwriting on the wall, kiss of death deal, you know. And uh, so anyway, I, I remember I was on the side of the house this mid-afternoon. It's that point where days dragging and things are getting heavier. And I was on the side of the house, hanging a door, and uh, I heard my friend Kim Zupan, who was working with me. I heard him yell at me, and I looked over. He's pointing. <laughs> That's still hard for me to get through. He's pointing down the road, and I see this little white car sitting <laughs> up there. My wife behind the wheel, you know, kind of looking around, trying to... I would like to say that that was the start of a, a meteoric career, and uh, <laughs> a wave that I've been riding the crest of ever since. In fact, it was more like a little ripple in a child's wading pond that a toddler in a rubber duck inner tube could very safely negotiate. <laughs> there had been a lot more trough than crest and so on and so forth. But, but still, that was the start of everything. You know, that was that moment when everything changed. And it has made all the difference. Anybody, you know, it's cliched, but to say anybody who's chased the dream and for years and watched it slip away, and then you get that moment where you get a piece of it. 
you know what that means and how it changes your life and the way you see yourself and the world and all that sort of thing. And when I think about it, that's what I think of is looking down and seeing that little white car. <laughs> Can't be on the wheel, you know. So if I got another minute or two, Mark? I'll assume I do. Um, I'll, I'll add one more connection there. I mentioned my, my great old friend, Kim Zupan, who was the guy who yelled at me there, and very much in the same situation as me. He was also a carpenter and aspiring writer. It took him way too long to get his own break, but eventually he did with the publication of a novel called The Plowman. Some of you all might be familiar with it. It's extraordinary. Oh yeah, okay, the editor at HarperCollins who bought my book that day, a guy named Dan Conaway, then went on to become a literary agent. And he was the agent who took on Kim Zupan's book, The Plowman, and handled that and sold it and so on. So kind of a little triangle there that was, that was kind of cool. Yeah, if I, I may just, I'll, I'll finish this off with one more very brief story. <laughs> hey, I'm Irish. This is this one. This one's this one's really pretty good. It's actually it's 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 Zoop's story, Kim Zupan's story. Uh, talk about a fork in the road. His grandparents immigrated here from Slovenia in the early 1900s, and the deal was that the old man came across a typical deal. The husband came across first, and he got a job as a miner in Nevada, and he sent back for his wife and a couple of her brothers to come and join him. So they took off and made it across Europe to Cherbourg in France and we're there just about to cross the Atlantic. At the last second, they get a telegram from him saying, hold off. He was going to go up and work in the mines in Butte, which, believe it or not, apparently was a step up. <laughs> and so we needed time to get up there and get settled and so on. And so they were forced to cancel their transatlantic passage and sell their tickets that they had bought on a ship named the Titanic. True story. Thank you all again. Neil McMahon grew up in Chicago and moved to Montana in 1971. He is the author of a dozen thrillers. His favorite is Lone Creek, set near Helena, Montana. To learn more about Neil and his work, go to tellusomething.org. I caught up with Neil in July of 2020. The manuscript I'm staring at until drops of blood form on my forehead. <laughs> uh, are you reinventing yourself again? Uh, kind of, I guess. I, I've been working on this for years, so not really, but it's not the same vein of stuff I was doing earlier. Well, you first you did horror, right? and then you did some thriller. Right. And what's this? This is maybe kind of somewhere uh, in between the two. It's... Um, uh, it's medieval. It's actually set, uh, uh, if you're familiar at all with the Templars, that whole uh, uh, mythology and, you know, semi-historical mythology, they were, uh, there was a mass arrest of the entire, this great order of knights in 1307, and uh, it sort of springboards off of that. Uh, I'd imagine there's a lot of research involved. Uh, yeah, I... I I've, fasc I've been fascinated by them for years anyway, so I know enough to kind of gloss it over. But uh, uh, it's actually more, I don't know, it's, it's, it's not really a historical novel. It's not really fantasy. It's got some uh, kind of magical elements and horror elements involved and that sort of thing. So I don't know what to call it. 
<laughs> we'll see. Well, we'll see when the agent picks it up and says, this is incredible. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> you'll be the first to know when that happens. Oh, great. You'll, you'll tell another story about it, I'm sure. Uh, absolutely will. You bet. Hey, let me just say here, I don't, uh, I don't want to, you know, blow smoke or anything, but I just want to say, uh, you know, this is really a terrific program. Tell us something. And uh, I think a lot of people realize that you put a lot of work into it, and there's great appreciation for that. So, Thanks for saying that, Neil. I, I hope that it survives this pandemic. Well, we sure hope so, too, but yeah. God, it's got to be tough. Well, the last time I put out a call for stories, uh, nobody called the pitch line, and I had a, I did a intensive workshop, so five days, two hours a day on Zoom, with the idea that the participants would then tell a story at a live streamed event, and right. uh, out of the six people, only two wanted to tell a story, and can't really have an event with two people. Well, that's really. Is, do you think that's just because of the pandemic, or I think people are just torn in so many different directions right now and they don't have the bandwidth to think about uh, yeah. things like this. Everybody's um, kind of dug in too. Well, and, you know, especially parents who have kids and they're having to not only work from home but also help them help their kids with school. And, well, and worry about whether the schools are going to open and so yeah, on. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being a parent right now or even God, a teacher. Well, exactly. It's a health worker. All that yeah, stuff. all of it. And or, or even a carpenter. Well, that's true too. I've, I've, I'm, I'm glad I'm out of it for a lot of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Some days I'm so hopeful and so full of optimism and so excited about the future, and other days I just want to crawl into a bottle of whiskey and call it good. You know. Well, I, I kind of do both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I I do think eventually the you know this virus is going to get damped down. I mean, they're going to come up. We're going to we're going to be living with it for years and you know, some form, but there's going to be vaccine and treatment and so on and so forth. It's probably going to sure. be a while. You have been working from home for years. So yes. This really hasn't changed much for you in that aspect. It, re it really hasn't. You know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I, I discover that I, that I work best when I really hunker down and I tend to make lists of errands I have to do and then try and go out and get them all done at once, more or less, rather than kind of constantly popping in and out. You know, it makes me sort of a recluse, but on the other hand, it it gets you up the hill. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to busting out of that, I hope. I'm hoping to have this thing done pretty soon. What's pretty soon? A month? Three months? Uh, I'm actually looking to try and get it out of the house here in another week or two. Oh, that's great. After several years. Well, but then we're going to find out, you know, that's the day of reckoning is coming. So, <laughs> but that's, you know. The sword is hovering over the head and all that stuff. So well, at least Tim's not having to drive the shitty Buick up the hill. To like well, the there you go. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. She knows where I am right now. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, what a I memory you to, have. Well, I listened to it this morning when I was picking raspberries, um, and I loved your description of the the top of the car peeling off. It looked like it had leprosy. <laughs> it, really, it really did. <laughs> uh, well. Thanks. Well, I think we've all had a car like that, and I oh, remember God. it was all I had for the first, you know, until I was, until I was in my forties, you know, finally bought yeah. a truck. Well, there's a oh. you know, it was, I have to say, with Kim, this point, we were talking about it for some reason. It was a good little car, you know. I yeah. mean, it it had a hundred and change on it, and it you know lit right up, and 
Moved it right along. That's great. What year was it? Was it mid eighties? Remember exactly. Just one of those little nondescript, you know, mid rangers that you saw all over the place. At the time, uh, you were working on a crew with Kim, <clears throat> Kim Zupan, mm-hmm. and he did he had he been published at the time? Stories, but not a novel. Yeah. So he was cheering you on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's been, you know, he's been a great supporter. And, and, I, and I must say, conversely, I got him in touch with my then editor, Dan Conaway. Right, uh, you mentioned who, that. Who's now an agent. And uh, Dan loved Kim's stuff right from the get-go. This is back when I first hooked up with him in the late 90s. But he just couldn't, you know, you got to persuade what's known as the Axe Committee at the Publishing House Acquisitions, but they call it the Axe Committee, with several other people who... Oftentimes, or you know, trying to <laughs> trying to keep you from you know getting your stuff done and da da da. Anyway, it was way too long before before Zoop finally got over the you know the hump there. But thank God he did. Yeah, it was a great book. Terrific. So good. Well, yeah, you mentioned that at the end of your story when you finished up your story, and then you said, "Do I have time for a <laughs> quick?" And I was like, "I'm." As, I remember being backstage going. No, you don't. And you said, well, I guess I, I, I'm assuming that I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, waiting for the, I was waiting for the cane to come out and hook me around the neck and drag me off. But I've never I had didn't to do go that. On, I didn't go on too long. No, you didn't. I, I didn't time it uh, when I was listening to it today, but I think maybe you were like 90 seconds long, longer than the time. That's fine. I've never pulled anybody off the stage um, with a big cane or whatever. You know, there have been times where I've wanted to, um, I believe it. And I've had to have hard conversations after the fact with people who sort of went off the rails. And Yeah. And well, like, it's a temptation for everybody. And, and writers, you know, writers like to talk. You know, yeah, well, well you're uh, Irish, too. So. No, well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't drink until afterwards. There you go. So had you ever done anything like that before? Because, I mean, telling a story on stage like that is much different than doing a reading. No, I don't think I have. Uh, that was, um, yeah, that was the first time. I, the only thing about sometimes, in, you know, in readings, when I do them, my tendency is to, to keep the reading itself real short, you know, like five minutes max, and then get questions because, uh, I think people get a lot more, you know, stay a lot more interested, you know, when it's interactive and so on. That's what uh, I've always found as a audience member. Sure. Yeah. But uh, so, it, it, I mean, that would be kind of those would be the times when I would, you know, was talking more or less off the cuff. So a little bit of that, but I don't don't recall ever uh, ever doing a sustained uh, monologue like that. So what what was that like for you? Uh it was fine. I remember you and I rehearsed it first, and um, you know I felt okay about it. I, I'm, I'm reasonably comfortable, I guess, in a situation like that. Just again, be, you know, maybe because of readings. Not that I've done all that many of them, but you know, on the one hand, I was of course a little nervous that I'd screw it up, and then on the other hand, I thought, well, so what if you do? You know, who's going to know? What's what? What are they going to do? You know, bend your yeah, I mean, eggs and uh, anyway. 
So it, and it was it was wonderful, you know. I mean, a really good audience, and you know, and you could tell that. And of, and of course, you know, coming with up being up there with John and and all that, it was it was uh, you know, it was it couldn't have been better. It was a fun night. I remember. Um, great night. He, it he, was he, also. He gave a great talk. Yeah. He did, and it was also packed. I, yeah, I, it was. We had uh, no. I mean, as far as the roster. Um, we had 11 storytellers that night. Right, right, right. And, you know, eight is the sweet spot. Eight storytellers is about what people can tolerate as far as attention span goes. And it was part of the festival of the book. And right, right. it was like, oh, another another author wants to do this. Oh, okay, another, okay. Yeah, I re- it's buried in my mind somewhere. I, I, I'd remember if I could ever think. Yeah, it was 11 Spoon people. And what's that? Spoon it out of my memory. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything that you want listeners to hear or to know about your story before we wrap it up? I, I don't know what what I would say about about the new book or the or the old stuff. Just if you're gonna if you're gonna write, you're gonna write, and you know, write. Try to be smart about it. If you can make some money, great. Uh, you're going to write what you want to. It's going to come out somehow, and you know what's in you. Well, here, here's a, how about if I ask this question? Sure. Um, if you could tell your 20 year old self some advice from you now, what would you tell him? If I knew that I wanted to write, which I, I didn't by that age. By the time I was 25, you know, my late 20s, I, I started getting more serious about it. I would certainly get some kind of, uh, go into some kind of line of work that's a lot more uh, conducive. That's not the right word, but you know what I mean. Uh, would give you much more material, you know, whether it's uh, like Michael Connolly was a journalist. A lot of people have done that. Obviously, physicians, lawyers, whatever. Uh, something besides swinging a hammer, uh, you know, which I did for much of my life. Just so you'd have that experience to draw on and uh, and maybe be smarter about money and uh, some other things like that. Smarter about money. Isn't that always the truth? Yeah, it really is. It's Some of that was generational because, you know, I think, you know, in the 70s, you know, kind of when I was coming up, it was, you know, we didn't have this atmosphere that, that we do now about, you know, sort of everything being contingent on that and, you know, students being swamped by loan debts and, you know, the markets is all you hear about in Wall Street and so on. That stuff was pretty well muted and it was, you know, you went out and worked and drew wages and, you know, put your money in a savings account and, so it kind of snuck up on me. I wasn't paying attention, but nowadays I think you got to pay a lot more attention to it, and just to get what, by. What's a savings account? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's you know nowadays you know that really was the way it was. You put it in, and it was you know three four percent, and it was steady, and you know it didn't disappear overnight, you know because Wall Street went crazy and so on and so forth. But those days are gone. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it seems like there are a lot of writers in Missoula who swing a hammer. Well, a lot of us did. Zoop, Zoop and I, of course. And yep. 
And uh, I remember thinking, you know, Mark Gibbons worked as a mover, and uh, Bob Reed was a cop all those years. And uh, you know, I keep going down the line and thinking of a lot of, you know, a lot of different people. Um, a lot of the women too, you know, cooks or whatever. Yep. When are you gonna get up there and tell us something? For I did one. I don't know, a couple of years ago. I I try not to make it be about me. You know, I want to right, sure. focus on other people, but. I can't remember what the theme was, but it was just too good to pass up. The story that I told was about I lived in Gardner, Montana, uh, and I, and I didn't, didn't have a car. And I also am a big Bruce Springsteen fan, and he had just done the E Street Band reunion and yeah. was touring. And the closest he was going to come was Fargo, North Dakota. And so I bought four tickets and didn't have a way to get there and so i'm not paying attention to the time and all of a sudden i look down and i see that it's like two seconds left and i'm not anywhere near done and the gong person is a friend of mine marissa she's standing up like a like a batter about to hit a home run and she's just wound up the gong and she lays into it <laughs> as loud as she can She's laughing her ass off. Everyone in the place is cracking up because they know I've broken my own rules. Exactly. Position <laughs> healed thyself. Yeah. 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 So it was. That was the last time I did one. It was pretty fun. Oh, that's a great story. That's yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll see what themes pop up. And like we're we're we have just as much talent in this town as L.A. or New York or anybody else. Austin. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been a lot of fun. It's a great town. We're lucky to live here. We are. We're, we're very blessed. And uh, I can't imagine living in a big city right now. God. I grew up in Chicago. I couldn't I know. get out fast enough. Right? Well, I won't keep you. I know you're, instead of swinging a hammer, you're swinging at those keys on the Swinging my fingers. Yeah. Well, geez, it's, a, it's a pleasure to talk, Mark. Hey, it was great talking uh, to you, Neil. Have a fantastic day. Give my best to Joyce. I will. Say hi to Kim. Okay, my friend. All right. Bye. Take care. Thanks, Neil, and thank you for listening today. Next week, I catch up with Melody Rice. I walk into this barbershop and I say, hey, I'm wondering if you're interested in hiring somebody to be in that second chair of yours. And the guy turns and looks at me and he says... I don't hire women. Tune in for our conversation on the next Tell Us Something podcast. Please remember to save the date for Missoula Gives, May 5th through the 6th. Missoula Gives is a 24-hour online giving event. Remember to support Tell Us Something during Missoula Gives, May 5th through the 6th. Learn more at missoulagives.org. Thanks to our in-kind sponsors. Hi, it's Joyce from Joyce of Tile. If you need tile work done, give me a shout. I specialize in custom tile installations. Learn more and see some examples of my work at JoyceOfTile.com. Hey, this is Gabe from Gecko Designs. We're proud to sponsor Tell Us Something. Learn more at GeckoDesigns.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company, including the family of ESPN Radio, The Trail, 103.3, Jack FM, and my favorite place to find a dance party while driving, U104.5. Float Missoula. Learn more at floatmsla.com and missoulaevents.net. Thanks to Cash for Drunkers who provided the music for the podcast. 
find them at cashfordrunkersband.com. If you're in Missoula, you can catch them live at the Union Club on May 14th. Find them at cashfordrunkersband.com. To learn more about Tell Us Something, please visit tellussomething.org.